You ever wonder what mediums do with their free time? How about a 30-something-year-old gay medium living in New York City? Well, in this podcast, you're about to find out. Welcome to Ghost Daddy, a place where LGBTQ plus spiritual people and our cis-hetero allies, of course, have a place to just be themselves and spread their wisdom. This is the new face of spirituality. None of that love and light, toxic positivity crap. So pour yourself a vodka soda, <laughs> open up your mind, and start listening. You can listen to the Ghost Daddy podcast anywhere where you listen to podcasts. happened. I'm your host, Liz Enton. If you listen to the intro, you know my story. If not, here's a brief summary. I'm a science skeptic, and when my dad died, I took a shot in the dark and decided to investigate if there was any possible evidence of an afterlife. I assumed that was as realistic as Santa Claus, but I was desperate. However, I was so blown away by what I discovered that I wrote a book and launched this podcast. In this podcast, I will be talking to some fairly normal people about some really weird shit. I speak with everyone from psychic mediums and afterlife researchers to ordinary people who've had some inexplicable experiences. So come, listen, there's no need to draw any final conclusions. Keep an open mind and wonder, what the fuck just happened? I just want to add that in this episode, we talk a little bit about medical stuff. So I am not recommending, the podcast isn't recommending any medical advice or tips. Talk to your doctor if you have any medical concerns. Hi, everyone. Today I have Monica Morrissey, and I met her through Rebecca Anlo Cicero, who has been on this podcast before. Monica is an author of a book, Dimes from Heaven, and she can introduce herself. So go ahead, Monica. Tell everyone a bit about yourself. Hi, everybody. So I'm Monica Morrissey, and I actually wrote I wrote two books. Um, I have been a teacher for 32 years, and now I am working on a third book, and it's all about um, signs from the afterlife, and I also own a business, Intuitive Wellness, and I do Reiki healing. I also do past life regression work, and I do dream analysis, and I really enjoy helping Women discover their soul passions and dig into their why and why are they here and what, what what's their purpose here. So super fun stuff. So you said you wrote two books and you have a third. Can you tell the name of all your books that you have published? Yes. So the first book is called Dimes from Heaven, How Coins and Coincidences Helped Me Discover My Life as an Empath. So when I started writing down this cool story about dimes, I discovered that I was a super sensitive soul 
And I didn't even know the words empath um, when I first started writing. And so it's kind of my memoir. It's a it's got a lot of different things in there that could help, you know, somebody if they were struggling mentally or health wise. Um, lots of tips and tricks that I've gained over the years of, you know, my many years here on earth. Then my second book is More Dimes from Heaven, and the subtitle is A Journey to Self-Publishing. And when I was writing the book, the first book, all of these signs started happening. More, My dad sent me, and we'll get into the story about the first book a little bit more, but my dad sent me all these signs, and I kept track of them when I was writing. And they were just so they were just too cool not to share. But I also wanted to encourage someone else who was writing their book or wanted to write a book so they would know the information of how to navigate self-publishing because self-publishing has really opened up a new door for authors. And I want people to be able to share. And then the third book I'm working on. And I'm not going to tell the name of it yet because it's just too exciting. And I don't know if it's the final name for it. But and just adding that Monica's newest book, Once Upon a Dime, is now available too. It's a collection. The biggest question that I get asked by my readers is they say, You're so lucky you get signs. And I want them to know how to get signs. So I'm going to use a bunch of stories from readers and friends and people that I know and what has happened to them since they read my book. And then kind of explain how they could get a sign if they wanted to try try it. So as you can imagine, I'm really into the how to get the signs and make sure they're evidential. Like you can't Mm -hmm. say I want a feather and then walk to a bird park and bird sanctuary and be like, oh, I got a feather. So I'm going to back up. I'm just a little curious. You said you told me before we started that you were a teacher and math was your favorite subject. So you also are logical like me. And then you discovered you're an empath. So first of all, can you tell everyone what an empath is? And then how did you discover this? When I started writing, I actually started writing because I was in physical pain. And somebody said, maybe it can help your physical pain. And I I rolled my eyes. I was like, how is this going to help my physical pain? Like, I just need to go to the doctor. They need to give me a pill. I need to be fixed. And so the writing was like, initially, I just kind of started where these dimes kind of came from. And it brought out a lot about my relationship with my parents. And I really believe that spirit was guiding me to discover the resources about being an empath. And so I started, you know, all of a sudden, I kind of perked up and said, oh, my gosh, the universe is like sending all these signs. Maybe I should start to pay attention to these things, these coincidences that are happening. And I had a couple friends and actually a friend looked me in the eye and she says, you I told her the dime story. And she looked at me and she says, you are an empath at that parts in the book. And I was just like, I don't even know what that means. I just look back at her and was like, OK, <laughs> so. I just started doing some research and I found lots of resources. I believe that in an empath, boy, there's a probably a technical definition. I just feel like it's a super sensitive person, but it's also mentally and physically. So you physically feel it in your body. So you can feel other people's emotions without them telling you. 
And so being around a lot of energy at schools and stuff, it really, it kind of depleted my energy because I didn't really have any protection strategies <laughs> that I do now and that I use in my business. Now, my question is, so what would you say was the first sign you got? And how did you know it was a sign? Okay, so just, well, just to back up a little bit, my father was dying and um, we knew he he was, you know, on his last few days, he'd had some strokes, so he couldn't talk and he was very scared of dying. So I told, I whispered into his ear, even though he could, I know that you can still hear a lot of times after you've had this, that's the last thing to go, right? When somebody's dying. And so his eyes were closed, but I knew he could listen because his little eyebrows would go up when when I talked to him. So I told him that there was a spirit communication system. He could call me. I could call him. It was like a telephone, and it just couldn't see it. It was invisible, just like a cell phone. And so a week after he passed, I always hiked this mountain that was right near our family camp, that there's a lake below the mountain. And I would hike, and I used to call him when I got up there. And on the way up, I'm bawling, and I'm a mess. And my friend calls me, and I said, I don't know what I'm going to do when I get there. And she'll say, she said, you'll know when you get there. And I'm like, that's not helpful. <laughs> like, you know, she's telling me, like, you'll know what to do when you get there, sweetie. You know, and I was like, that is so not helpful. Like, I need a strategy. I need, I need some that planning, right? I like my life planned. So I got up there, and there was this two, these two couples up there, and I just, I was crying, and I, and I turned around and I said, I am so sorry. I feel like I'm ruining your hike, and I could have just not talked to them, but I didn't. I turned around and I apologized. I said, my father just died. I'm a mess. I, you know, I'm so sorry. And they all, they said, can we give you a hug? And I was like all sweaty. And I was like, okay, sure. So anyway, they um, all gave me a hug. And then the gentleman, the younger gentleman comes over and he looks at me and he says, do you have faith? And I would just like, I literally, my body crumbled. I was like, yeah, buddy, like, you have no idea. I was very faithful growing up, not necessarily in the religious God aspect. But I knew that there was this other dimension or something out there. So anyway, so he looked at me and said, could we say a prayer from your father? And I was just like, this is the phone call from heaven. This is the phone call that I told dad about. And so I felt like I got my phone call. And then I'll give away one of the dimes from the book, but I won't give away both. I do want to just ask you one thing really quickly. Yeah. You said you had faith. What was it you had faith in that we survived bodily death? Um, yeah, I guess that the, my faith is hard to explain. I, I just, I believe that there is something mysterious out there. I don't think that I had really made that connection yet about how this afterlife and how you talk about the consciousness, like I hadn't really put words to it, but I believed that somehow my father was probably going to be able to communicate with me, whether it was like a, through a medium or something, but I believed in something more. 
but at that time I really didn't have the where or the knowledge to understand it all. Why did you believe think this? Was it just purely belief based at this point or were there tangible reasons you thought this? So my nephew um, died suddenly in a 2008 car crash and um, it really rocked my family. Sorry. <laughs> and so when Tyler died, we flew to Tennessee to you know be with the family and a friend of mine recommended Brian Weiss's book. Many Lives, Many Masters. And I don't know if you're familiar with his work. I am. He had a client who came in and had a big phobia. And he was doing hypnosis with her. And she recalled a past life. And when she came out of the hypnosis, she was cured of her phobia. And it totally changed his life. And then he ended up doing more work in past life work, which is one thing that I do now in my business. But it just opened up this like soul discussion that we're all souls versus, you know, I had just been living, you know, kind of blind about this whole understanding of your soul. And so it kind of opened up that door. And so for, what's that, about seven years, I had been reading about the afterlife. I had been going to a couple of different mediums. It was kind of like almost, I was doing that work almost in preparation, I felt like for losing both of my parents, because I lost both my parents within eight months. And so it was a, it was a rocky ride. So sorry that you went through that. I know that was incredibly, incredibly, I mean, there just aren't the right words. You know, all of us who've been through that profound grief know there aren't words. Why don't you share one of the dime stories and don't give it all away because it's a good book. Everyone needs to give it a read. I'll never give away the ending when I'm talking about it. But a week after I climbed that mountain, I went on another hike, another solo hike. I just like to go by myself and just really, it just makes me feel good. It makes me feel connected. And so I was like, how am I how am I going to beat last week? I really felt that I had gotten my connection to heaven. Like I was, I was okay with it. You know, I knew it was my father's phone call. And so I was just like, what am I going to do now? (laughs) You know, it's going to be such a letdown when I get to the top of the mountain. So I get to the top of the mountain and I decided to call one of his main caregivers. She was there all week and she really took good care of him. And she's a good friend of mine. So I called her and I'm walking around where I always like the exact, I can't even describe it to you. Like I can picture the rock that I used to sit on and I'd look down at the lake at the camp where my dad was. And there's this patch of dirt right next to the rock where I'd put my feet and I look down and there's a dime. And I was just like, how, how does a dime get on top of a mountain in the exact spot where I used to call my dad. And to back up, the reason the dime is important is because my dad, I don't know if you remember these. So this is a Liberty Head dime. So when I was caring for my dad, so I took a leave of absence from my job and I took care of my dad after my mom passed away. And one day he said to me, your mom and I have this coin collection I think we should go try to find where we hid it. 
And so we went on this search for these coins. And so I was like sorting all the coins and dad was just like, let's just sell them all. Who cares? And I was like, no, I think you should give them to your kids and your grandkids. And so I made each kid and grandkid this box of coins and I separated them and everybody got one. And one day he woke up from his nap and he said, I want those to make those dimes into a necklace. And I was like, okay, we can do that. And so I always wore this, um, I don't have it on right now, but a dime necklace. And so I knew the dime was a sign from my dad. And then the next one came to two years later. And I'm not going to tell, but even my husband, who sometimes, you know, doesn't always like want to listen to all my stuff. I was like, you cannot call me crazy anymore. (laughs) This is from my father. Do you notice, I notice when I've gotten things that I would consider signs and, you know, I'm incredibly skeptical. It takes a lot for me to consider something a sign. Do you feel any physiological difference? Yeah, there's something different going on. I don't know if I could really explain it, but there's this feeling inside of me of being connected. What I notice with me is I just get a little bit daydreamy. It's usually when I'm not thinking about signs. And then I'll do something out of character, not drastically or ridiculous, but I'll be planning to walk down one street. And then for some reason, I'll just randomly turn on another and there will be a sign. So it's just these weird little things. And I feel a little just slightly meditative. I notice when I get them, it's it's a silly thing, but it's what you're saying is like you're kind of following your intuition and you're, that is that dreamy state. I understand what you're saying. And so that's been happening me to me when I park my car. I used to just try to get as close to the door as I could, right? And now I just drive around. And actually, it is in my second book where I was almost going to park. We were on our way to Delaware. So we were just among these big rest areas, right? And I go to park my car and I'm going to go to the right. And then at the last minute, I swing over to the left and I pull in. And my husband says to me, look, that is Roger. And right in front of us, you know, we're in New Jersey somewhere or something like nowhere we we, we should know anybody from our little town. And there's somebody that guided me into that parking spot. That was the last time we saw him and he passed away. He was moving And it was our last time. And I knew it at the time. I'm like, this is it. This is our last time to see Roger. And I just was like, thank you for bringing us together. And if I hadn't just listened to that feeling of where to park, it never would have happened. If there is something to that, just kind of letting things go and not being so controlling in my life. Now you've gone on to do some really interesting things in this whole world. So you said Reiki energy healing and past life regressions. Am I right? Yep. And I also love doing dream analysis. Let's start with Reiki. So do you want to just define what Reiki is for everybody first? Sure. So Reiki is an energy work healing. And I've heard different things. Some people say that the, the practitioner doesn't put the hands on you, but I do. And so it's just an energy healing. And I have, I've been doing Reiki for a lot of years, but I just got my master Reiki level. And so what I love doing with people is I'm getting messages during my Reiki sessions 
and also helping people align their chakras. And so sometimes, I don't know if you're familiar with the chakra energy system. So there's seven different energy systems in the body, starting with the root chakra, which is at the base of the spine. So sacral is next. And then the solar plexus is in the center of your stomach. And then the heart chakra around your heart. And then the throat chakra is in your, obviously, your throat area. And then your third eye. And then your crown chakra is at the top. And they all represent different emotions and different things. So sometimes they can get like a little off off kilter based on what you're doing in your life. Like, you know, sometimes people have trouble speaking up. So their throat chakra might be a little blocked. And so during the Reiki energy session, I just check in on the different chakras. And if there's something that's not acting or not feeling right, then I give them strategies. Okay, this is what, you know, I think that you need to speak up more at work if your throat chakra is out or your heart chakra isn't lined up. You know, where are you feeling the love in your life? And what, you know, where do you think that you're turning to fear instead of love? So a lot of times I'm asking them questions, but I'm also guiding them. So I'm also a health and life coach, and I kind of add that into my Reiki session. So when I do a Reiki session, I start with essential oil, and then I do the session. And at the end, like 10 or 15 minutes, is really spent processing, you know, the information that I was receiving about how their body could be, I don't know, better functioning, I guess, letting go of some of the emotions that we hold into our body. It's like that really popular book that I feel everybody read, The Body Keeps Score. And it's like when we have a trauma, we hold it in our body, right? And it stays in there permanently in a certain way. I mean, I've personally noticed that in myself too. Yeah, it, and this just kind of reorganizes that energy so that you can kind of let go. I, a lot of my clients say, I feel so much lighter. And it's like, yeah, because you just let go of some baggage that you had been carrying around. I can also do Reiki online. It really works good to do a, a chakra clearing um, online. And it's amazing how you, you know, you wouldn't think that you would think that the practitioner would have to have their hands on you, but you really don't. There's this, there's a, an exchange of energy that it's, you know, I compare it to a cell phone. We expect that we can use a cell phone without wires. We can do other things without wires too. I've heard that theory before. I think if so much of our material world already does work that way, you go way back to when it used to just be televisions. I guess that's not way back. I'm making that sound like that was in caveman days. I mean, that was in my lifetime, not like 200 years ago. But, you know, there's always been these signals downloaded to a machine and it's just getting more and more powerful and effective that we now have cell phones and my God, who knows what we're going to have in another hundred years. But so now I had a really interesting Reiki session once. I remember this just always stood out to me and kind of came back to me when I started studying all this because I never believed any of this. And I remember, I think I was young. I think I was in high school or something. And I went, I was at a spa with my mom and I was looking at the menu and one was Reiki and I asked what it was and I thought it sounded like bullshit, but I was curious. And 
my right knee had been hurting a lot. Nothing major. I mean, nothing that was affecting how I was living my life. It was just bothering me. And she went over, she went over my whole body and I don't think she was touching me. And I just felt like this heat pouring through everywhere that she was working and it would stay and not go away. She went over my knee and I didn't move or flinch or anything. And I felt like this searing shooting pain through my whole knee. And then it was like something shot out of it and it was, the pain was gone and it was gone permanently. And afterwards, she even said, like, right after the session, she said, did you feel that? I worked out that energy block in your knee. And I was like, what the fuck? That's so weird. And that wasn't in my worldview. But I just always tucked it away that there was something interesting. Have you ever had any really weird what the fuck's doing Reiki where you saw something and it was verified in some way? What would you say is the most verified Reiki experience you've had? So when I was first introduced to Reiki and I went to my first, so I was in a lot of pain because I had back surgery when I was 27 and I was in so much pain and the doctors couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. So I actually walked into this clinic, this free clinic, and my body literally was a sponge. First of all, I had four practitioners on me and it was like uh, all that energy onto your system when I hadn't done any of this energetic world or work. It was just like I was out of it. I was in that zone (laughs) of where you're, you know, half awake, half asleep. And my body just soaked it. I couldn't believe. And and I I didn't totally get rid of my pain, but it definitely helped relax my whole nervous system. It just put me into a different journey in my pain world. And it was just... It was so powerful that I was just like, I need to learn how to do this. Like what I was saying about going to the parking lot. While I'm doing Reiki, I just listen to the guidance and I just let it free flow. So anyway, this gentleman had a tree fall on him during the storm, the storm cleanup, and it hit his head and then it hit his shoulder. And when I got there, he could barely move his shoulder. I mean, you could tell he was babying that, that baby so bad. So I use crystals and stones and different things, and I put them at different places on somebody's body to just kind of absorb the energy, and it just kind of heals them. And so anyway, I have this really big crystal, this one that I just love. Actually, I got it at the expo when we were at the expo in Connecticut, and I put it in a certain spot on his shoulder, you know, like his uh, shoulder blade. And when he got up, you know, I asked him, how are you doing and stuff? And he's like, there is this huge knot that is totally gone. And it was right where I placed that big crystal. And then afterwards, he's got his hands above both of his arms above his head. You can just tell he could move afterwards. That was so powerful for me to see. I just helped him because it's him. It's really him doing the work. I'm just there as a guide is what I feel feel and that he has to believe in this you know he has to do the work so it was just so powerful to know okay I I don't know why I put the crystal there I don't I have to know that but he knew and like he it really helped him so I it just gives me more inspiration to just keep going and try to help people feel good how do you get these instincts of where to go is it Does it just come to you? Is it a physiological sensation, words in your ears? How would you, if 
describe your experience when you're giving Reiki? I have a couple of different things. So first of all, I feel things. I'm a feeler. That's my strength. I do hear. Wait, I want to ask you, what does it mean to feel? Like if someone's shoulder is hurting, will you feel like a tingle in your shoulder or will you feel like their pain in your shoulder? No, I will feel attracted to that spot. And then I also am attracted to the emotions behind it. It's hard to explain now that I'm doing it, but I, I just listen to my intuition and I go to where my hands feel called to. I don't know. It's a physical sensation. And I just kind of go there and I just hold it. And I can't tell what's going on. And sometimes, a lot of times I don't know until afterwards. Like I had one woman say, oh my God, you spent so much time on my knee. My knee has been killing me, similar to you. And I don't know why I went there. It's just that I just... I get into that state of mind and I allow myself to be open and I'm doing the Reiki symbols in my head and I'm asking for guidance and I'm asking for clarity. And sometimes I get visions of different things. For instance, um, you can appreciate this one, the crown chakra. A lot of times when um, somebody's the crown chakra is at the top of your head. Right. And it's all related to you know, whether or not, or what you believe in, not necessarily religious, but a spiritual connection. And when I get somebody's crown chakra, that's kind of closed up, and it might have been from some, you know, maybe a bad religious experience, I get this, like a boiling pot of water, and then the top goes over it. So that makes sure that you, you know, the water isn't coming up through the, you know, the steam isn't coming up through we're going to make sure that you're not connected to god or whatever that you believe in that's what you visualize you see a steaming pot of water above their head with a lid yeah so some of it is a little bit of charades similar to like what a medium would do and so um that's been fascinating to just kind of come out and say well this is the visual and then the the client a lot of times verifies, oh, yeah, you know, I grew up Roman Catholic or I, you know, and so it was all about not really connecting in a loving nature, maybe. What would you have gotten for someone like me? Like, I'm still an atheist. I just think our consciousness survives bodily death based on scientific methodology we don't understand yet. But what would you get have gotten with someone like me even before I thought that when I just thought there was nothing? That visual is more about being clamped down. So I don't feel like you were clamped down, if that makes sense. And the crown chakra really is about love and that in connection too with other people. And so it's bigger than just like a, do you believe in God or not? That would be my answer. So it wouldn't have been like a trauma of mine. So that just wouldn't be where you'd even notice on me. No, I wouldn't get I wouldn't get that symbol for somebody who doesn't believe in God, because it's not about the God. It's about what happened to the person that closed that off. You're not gonna be able to answer this. How do you think it all works? I don't think any of us really know. But how does it work? How would you guess? I, you know, it's. 
I doubted it for a long time. I even doubted that, you know, when I talk about like, oh yeah, I can do Reiki on Zoom. I was just like, yeah, right. You know, I grew up with a mother who rolled her eyes at people like this. And so, you know, like same inside, I still sometimes even struggle talking about it with people because it's like, I know that I doubted it for so long. But the more that I work with clients, the more that I know that this helps. And so anybody who's attracted to this work, and if you're not, that's fine. You don't have to do it. You get to you get free will and free choice and and that's fine. But I don't know. My dad had Reiki when I was taking care of him and he said the same thing that you said, that it was hot hands. That's what he called the woman. He couldn't remember her name. And he said, when is hot hands coming back? And he he was so bottled up. He had a lot of illness throughout uh, most of his life. But he said, I felt like this shooting of energy right down through my legs and it went out my feet. And I was like, yeah, <laughs> like I, I get it, dad. But then he got too scared. He, he was just like, I don't understand it. And he says, don't don't have her back. And so, you know, some people do get really scared because we can't, like you said, it's not science and it's not physical and, and it, you just, it's this energy system. I'm going to actually disagree with you on one thing. I think it is science. I think we can't measure it yet. I think something I was just saying on another interview that I think at some point we're going to have something to the effect or similarity of the Large Hadron Collider that's constantly discovering new particles. And with either the actual Large Hadron Collider or something else, probably not for a couple hundred more years, and it's going to discover what particles and mechanisms this is. And it's going to show that this is downloaded by a body. I mean, I don't know. But I think it is science because it's factually happening. But I just think we are nowhere near able to define it yet. I really like how you point out that science has proven some of this stuff, but it's just not in mainstream media. There's a lot of information out there. I mean, Reiki is more accepted in hospitals now. You know, it's been proven to increase your healing rate. There is a lot of science out there about it. Mine is a little bit added when I'm getting the messages and and doing that work. That's interesting work, too. So I'm curious what comes next and what people are going to believe in. And I've had plenty of Reiki sessions. I've taken Reiki workshops when I started studying all this. And I always, I know what you mean, the hot hands. Like my hands get burning hot when I do it. I mean, I'm not skilled like you. I'm not going to do it for my career, but, you know, my hands just get burning hot. And I feel almost like a tangible substance between them that I can play with. And when I get Reiki done to me, it's very tangible. That's what I find so fascinating. It's like the heat that pours through me. It's as if it's an actual substance. It's like these intense chills and intense heat going inside my body too, not just over my skin and little waves. It's absolutely fascinating. I, so I, yeah, I think science is going to prove it in some way or get evidence for it, explain aspects of it. But so we've talked a lot about Reiki and, you know, I could probably talk to you for 10 years, so we should move on to the next topic. So now past life regressions. What's interesting is if you read my book, you know that 
past life is one of the very first things that opened me up to the fact to the probability that there is an afterlife. First of all, how'd you get into doing past life regressions? So after my nephew died, that's the book that I read. And so then I started reading all of his other books and I actually got to meet him in Boston. It was super cool. So I found a practitioner that was trained by Brian at one of his seminars. And I started to go see her because I found out that um, if you did past life regression work, sometimes it helps heal a, a disease or something going on in your body. And so I started seeing her. So I saw her for like 10 years and I would just work through some of the different things that were happening in my life whether it was job or family drama or a physical ailment. And I would show up with that intention. And it wasn't like, you know, I, I can't even remember some of the illnesses that I used to have. And, I, and it would go away. It wouldn't go away immediately, but I would go back in time. I'd do the past life regression work. I would get at that emotional attachment and my soul lesson and then I would come out and within probably, I don't know if I could say weeks, but months, whatever the physical illness was, was gone. And so it's just fascinating to me. And so I was pretty passionate when I... Can I ask one quick question? I'm sorry, just because you know how my mind works. How do you know that's not the placebo effect when you'd start to feel better? Which is still fascinating. I think... We so minimize the fascination of the placebo effect. So I don't mean that dismissively in any way. No, I, I understand what you're saying. So w the reason that I don't think it's the placebo effect is because I didn't believe that it was going to work. <laughs> and it took weeks or months, like I said. And then it was like, I just woke up one day and was like, wait a minute this isn't going on anymore. Oh my God, it's totally gone. And then I'd be like, it's going to come back next week. It's going to come back. Don't, don't get your hopes up. This was long before I did a lot of this work. And I just, I didn't believe that it was going to work. I was just like, how can this, you know, I still need that pill. I still need that doctor's appointment. You know, like I was still going to doctors trying to figure stuff out. But then it was like, one day I'd wake up and be like, oh, this really is not painful anymore. And so it, I understand what you're saying. And I don't, think, I don't think you're rude at all to ask that. But I had so many sessions with this woman that, and it wasn't always necessarily a physical healing. It was definitely family dynamics into the family that I was born into. So it was a combination of current life traumas and past potential past life traumas. Right. And so basically, a lot of times what I needed to do was look for patterns and look for my soul lessons. So like if you keep seeing patterns in your life where there's problems, then, you know, that's your soul lesson. And we're all here to learn soul lessons. And some of them are harder than others. I did come out of it understanding myself a bit more. And so that then when I went into a different, that same situation, that was the same pattern, maybe that was a pattern in my past life. 
I could change the dynamics by, by doing something different myself and not just blame it on the other person. Like, oh, it's their problem. You know, like they're the problem. I'm not the problem. And then really do some self-analyzing. So you were so transformed by this. You decided to get trained in past life regressions yourself. Correct. Now, with past life regressions, I know the one I had, I was put into a meditative state where I shared the information that came to me for myself. Is that what you do or do you download the past life information for the people? Inspired by David Justice, who died after a nearly two-year battle with glioblastoma, Jet, Joyful Experience Team, was founded by his son, Oliver Justice, and his best friends, River Attard, Leo Gerstein, Jack Gorenstein, and Felix Ward. Jet seeks to create joyful experiences for families struggling with brain cancer, a chance to enhance their lives with experiences that are rich in love and will be treasured for all time. We believe, like David did, that life should not be measured in time, but in joyful moments. Jet will allow families coping with this painful diagnosis to go to special events and be treated like VIPs. Go to makingheadway.org forward slash Jet for a complete list of programs and activities. So I'm doing, I'm putting them into that hypnotic state where they are able to continue to talk to me and I just guide them through it, but they're talking the whole time. A lot of people, you know, come out of it and they're like, I didn't think it was going to work, you know? And then once they got into that state, they had to get deep into the state. They were like, but then it did. And, but your brain tries to tell you that it's not real and that the, whatever that the vision that you're getting your brain will try to tell you that it's not real. And so I, I forgot to tell one client that. And in the middle, she just was like, I'm done. I'm done. I think I'm just making all this stuff up. And so she was really bummed. But if I had told her that her brain will, you know, that voice inside our head will tell us that, you know, we don't know if this is real, but it doesn't matter. It's just, it, it's the story it's the pattern your soul will tell you exactly what you need to know in order to clear patterns or clear, you know, some sort of physical ailment. I really believe that. But they are talking and I'm asking questions the whole time. Has there ever been anything that was verifiable in any way? Or I don't know. Have you ever read the case of Bridley Murphy? I haven't, but I know what you're saying. And I know Brian Weiss's clients have gone back and verified. I don't, I, you know, I'm new at this, to be quite honest. Um, it's only been six months since I've been doing this with clients. And they haven't come up with anything like specific like that. But the information that they got was true to the time period that they were talking about. I've also read the book, The Boy Who Knew. I don't know if you've read that. It was supposed to be turned into a, a movie. I never heard of it. What is it? Um, this little boy, he was two or three, had never seen a baseball game 
whatsoever. And somebody mentioned the name Babe Ruth and he got like violently angry. He was just like, do not ever speak of that man <laughs> again. And the mother was like, what's going on here? He knew nothing about baseball. He was too little. And anyway, she did some research and everything that he came, I forget who Babe Ruth's, who is his arch enemy? I have no idea. I don't, I'm so ignorant about sports. Anyway, I can't think of it, but it's whoever, Babe Ruth and this other, and they went and he went back to visit the home where he said he grew up and he recognized, like he described it. He recognized it. They went back and met some of the people. And it was just a fascinating story that this could really, you know, be happening. And a lot of times when kids are before the age of five are having these memories and it's verifiable. So that's fascinating to me. Yeah. And that's the whole research of the late Dr. Ian Stevenson and now Dr. Jim Tucker at the Division of Perceptual Studies at University of Virginia. When I look back at my life, I have a few weird experiences that I would have never called past life memories. But there's a story from my life when I was, and they say, you know, you forget the memories, usually the children, at least studied by Dr. Tucker, forget their memories at five years old. And they're very emotional and fear-based. And I remember my mom had this like blue heating pad that she would use. And I think my dad would use it too. And it was blue and floral and a little faded and completely innocuous. And I was terrified of it until I was five years old. Like I would scream when I saw it and it would associate memories of dying, like deathbeds and hospitals. And it just had almost like, I didn't have that vocabulary or understanding yet. So I'm going to say something in a way I really don't normally talk, but it had like that memory imprinted in it or like an energy imprint of that. And I just remember after five, I saw it again. I was like, how was I scared of that? That's so weird. <laughs> and when, I didn't think anything of it until I started reading Jim Tucker because it, it just had such a power and not like the normal thing a little kid is scared of. It just it was so weird. And it definitely like I remember feeling now looking back, like the smell of like hospitals and picturing hospitals and death and it was so weird. I wonder if you were a nurse in a past life or something, you know, and you saw some things. Yeah, maybe or maybe it's how I died or some, you know, someone I love died, who knows? You know, there's been a lot of stories too, about like people being very fearful of snakes or being fearful of the water and then they, you know, come to find out then they go through a past life regression that they drowned in a past life and it does relieve the symptoms. So I have a friend who I did a past life work with and it's okay to talk about. And she was just having this rising up in her blood anger. <laughs> and she really had nothing to be angry about, but everybody around her, her family, she was grateful for her family, but she just had this rising sense of anger in her. And she came out, it takes about two hours. So it does take a while to get, you know, into the hypnotic state and get to the get to the point. She came out and she's like, I have the same life that I had yesterday, but somehow I feel different. <laughs> and, and that just showed me her blood wasn't boiling anymore. She's, you know, all the people around her were doing the same thing, but some, something released in her by knowing this other past story. 
And she said it's stayed with her since that day. She's just not as angry. That anger isn't bubbling up in her. And she, you know, couldn't figure out why she was that way. It's deep, but it's, it was just on a physical, she said, I feel it on a physical level. And I know that you and I have just sat here for two hours and nothing has happened to me physically that I've just been sitting here, you know, telling this. And so it just, you feel it on a physical level. And that's what I can, I can verify from all of my sessions too. I could see at some point wanting myself wanting to do work not doing past life regressions, but researching people's memories and trying to do verification. I wouldn't be surprised if as time goes on, we get better and better and more results as like in a hundred years now that everyone's life has now become so easily researchable. Yeah, so I I study um, Carl Jung and really into Jungian theory. And what people don't understand, well, two actually two things about dreams. First of all, our loved ones can visit us in dreams. And I've had that experience myself several times. And my mother, who I struggled with when she was here on earth, came in a dream and she's just totally different. And I was just like, I don't know who this woman, like I knew who it was, but like she hugged me. And I was just like, my mother was never much of a hugger. So you can't have visitations in dreams. But then Jung does a lot of symbol, and it's almost like that charade game, right, that that I was talking about earlier. And understanding what those symbols represent is what I love to dig into. And they don't always represent what people think that they do. So, for instance, if I had a client come to me and say, like, oh, I got into this car crash, I'm like, okay, give me the details up until the car crash, And what is the car representing? The car is actually representing your body and your soul, that your your body is just the car that you're running during this lifetime and that your soul is the interior. So a car could be, you know, something about your soul. So what happened before the car crash? And then we go over all those different things and then we relate them to their life. So it's a mixture. It's a conversation. So first they send me, a detailed written explanation of the dream with all the details that they can put in. So if they saw a tree or they saw a road or they saw a house, like put down everything that you saw, even the little details. And then I go through and I do use a reference book, but I also use my own intuition. And then I write down what I think those are representing. And then I leave space and then I ask questions. And so then when we get together and I we do a Zoom or we meet in person and I go through and first of all, I ask them what they think that the dream is all about. Because a lot of people know, but they, they just need that little bit more emphasis. And so then I go through all of my notes and then I'm asking them questions. So it's a it's a mixture, again, of my intuition, but their soul. I believe that dreams are coming, are messages from our soul. And so a lot of people aren't sleeping right now. It's their soul trying to wake them up, I believe, and get their attention and say like, hey, are you really happy in your job? Are you really, you know, going in the direction that you want to go? Or is it time to maybe change up your life? Or 
if, if you're struggling in your job too, sometimes you can get messages that would help you solve a problem. I think it's Steve Jobs and a bunch of different, you know, famous people, their, their stuff came to them in dreams, their ideas. It's because it's coming from our subconscious. And we spend a lot of time in our brains being analytical, thinking, and this is from a different space. My mom is um, a Freudian-based psychoanalyst, so I was raised a lot on dream symbolism, but where she and I don't agree. And I'm not, when I say disagree, like I still don't know 100%, but what based on the evidence I think now, I mean, she thinks, I don't know what she thinks anymore about an afterlife. She's just kind of still in shock at all the evidence I got and doesn't quite know what to do with it. Um, but, you know, I... I think, and I'm curious your opinion on how you can even tell the difference. My part of it, based on how I was raised, I think I've always thought our dreams are us processing, as you said, our unconscious thoughts, the things we don't face in the day. Like, oh, you tell yourself you love your job. You tell yourself, you, you just try not to think about certain things because you're just getting through life and your dreams, tell, yeah, as you, you use the word soul or subconscious is more the word I was raised on. You also used subconscious too. But then there's the dream visitations and like our loved ones reaching us. How do you think you can tell the difference between a dream visit? I've had dream visits from my dad and from my friend. So when when someone visits you, if you've ever had that experience, you just know, like you feel it in your body and you wake up and just go, holy crap, how did that happen? Because I, I'm telling you like, so right when I was trying to transition from take, from living with my father full time and I needed to go back to work and I was supposed to go to this wedding and I was trying to think if I was going to take dad or not. And my mom came and like I said, she gave me this big hug and I'm like, what is going on? Like, this is not who you were, you know? So I believe that sometimes they come in with that love, that really strong, powerful love and not all the earthly drama stuff that's going on. And I'll tell a story too about what I don't think was a spirit visiting. Anyway, and she just said, go to the wedding. Your father can't go because I was at this wedding and I, and I couldn't find my dad. And my mom came to me and said, it's okay. You can go to the wedding and your dad's going to be fine, but he can't go. And I woke up and I was like, okay, I need to make the plans and make sure that dad's covered. But I need to, like, I just, I knew inside of me that it was a message to not stress so much about this wedding. But I had a, a, a client tell me one time that, oh my, I saw my dad when I was visiting him at the cemetery. I went to visit his grave and he, you know, he came and he slapped me across the face and told me to smarten up. And I was just like, that's not, that's not how spirit works. Spirit is filled with love. And, you know, that was just, maybe that's how you would think a father might, you know, not hopefully not slapping people across the face, but making us feel bad, right? Like sometimes that can happen when we're here navigating this earthly life. But that's not how spirit works. So it, spirit to me is always filled with love. And you just, you feel it very deeply. And until it happens to you, it probably, you might have trouble believing. Yeah, I've had things I would classify as dream visits. And 
it's really crazy when it happens. It feels different. And then also because I'm skeptical, like I had a dream visit from my cat once and I told her, I don't believe you're here in the dream. It was like a semi asleep. And I was like, I need more evidence because I miss you so much. And I love you so much. And then the next morning I woke up to a message from a medium that I'm friends with, but I hadn't posted my cat on social media at this point. I mean, I've let a lot of my guard down now with my friends that are mediums, but this was early on. And I was even ones I'd had readings with, if I was their friend, I'm like, I'm still telling them nothing else. Cause I don't know what else is going to happen. And so she knew nothing about this cat. And she started to describe, she's like, do you have, I had a dream with you and a cat in it. And she started describing my cat and her personality. And I trust this medium to be honest. So I sent her a photo and she was like, I think the cat was like larger. So I sent her a photo from when the cat was young. She was like, that was the cat. So, (laughs) and it had all those very realistic sensations. So now when I have dreams like about my dad and it's the same sensation, I mean, I still tell him, I'm always telling him. Actually, I should ask you advice in this. I don't know if you would know this. I know a lot of us are trying to get specific messages from our loved ones. So I keep asking my dad to tell me something my mom knows that I wouldn't know. Other people might have life questions. I still do. I still want to get advice from my dad. If, you know, sometimes I don't want it to be evidential. I'm like, I'm lost about this. And I used to call you and say, what do you think about this? What do you have advice for anyone who would want to get a specific message in their dream? So yes. So writing it down is super, super important. So I'm actually going through a class right now. I'm always learning and and doing more classes. And so what's interesting in this class is we all dreamt for another person. And so we haven't had the class yet. It's tomorrow night. But on Saturday night, we were all supposed to put her name under, we were supposed to write it down on a piece of paper and put it under our pillow And then what we're going, she is asking a question and she had to write her question down. And I think she had to put it under her pillow, actually. So we're all going to come back together. And I have no idea what the significance in in my dream for her was, but she might make sense of it. And you were supposed to write down again, every little detail, but writing it down is really powerful. And doing it right before bed and and just making sure that you're really in that energy and just asking for whatever it is that you want. So if it's a question that, you know, like, should I, you know, do this job or that job or whatever it is, then you're and you want guidance from somebody, then writing it down. And, and that's where the the analysis comes in, because you might get a dream but it might seem like it was nothing to do with what you asked. But when I take, again, my reference tools that I have, and then I use my intuition, and then I can guide you into like what that represented. So I had another client who she kept dreaming about the office, and she was so mad when she went to the office. And she didn't understand that the office was actually inside of her. Like she was the office, like she is running her own office, like we're all souls having this journey, right? And so once I got her, oh, okay. And then we could talk about all the details in the dream that happened that were related to her life. But first, so that's the tricky part is that, and that's again, where the dream analysis comes in is really interpreting those dreams. Again, like a charades Okay, this is the scene I got. 
what does the scene represent and what's the guidance. I do intuitive angel card readings too. The intuitive angel card readings I do, it's a bit different than tarot cards. I don't do tarot cards, but I do do angel cards, a lot of Doreen Virtue cards. So I use cards to um, use my intuitive guidance that we don't know where it comes from, but it's coming from somewhere. And I choose cards based on, so I use a pendulum to choose my cards. So a pendulum I use, it's like a rose quartz or a, I have a couple of different ones. It's like a, it's a cone shaped, right? Like an ice cream cone shaped. And it's on a string or it's on a, like a necklace kind of thing. And you can use a necklace. And I I put them over the card. I put it over the cards. And my pendulum, when I use it, it will swing clockwise when it wants me to pick that card. And I started this again after my nephew died. And some friends and I had gotten together. And we were starting to just kind of play around with it. So I've been playing around with it now for oh gosh, I don't know, 10, 15 years just by myself. And then I started doing them for work the past probably three or four years since I wrote my first book. I started doing them more and more. And whatever messages come to me during the reading, I have to tell the person. So, and sometimes that can be really hard because, you know, sometimes you're dealing with some, you know, if I'm doing the messages from heaven deck, then, you know, like, and you're telling somebody like it had to be that way or something, you know, that death had to be that way. And, you know, it was their child who died. Like, how do you tell somebody that their grief is so intense? I mean, everybody's grief is, but anyway, so whatever messages, again, sometimes it's scenes, like when I'm doing Reiki, like I was explaining about the pot boiling and Sometimes it's scenes that come to me, or sometimes it's just like examples. Um, I like to use it as a time. I do do intuitive health and life coaching. So sometimes if it's a health thing, like I'll zero in and give them some guidance as to how to be healthier. And usually it's like spot on. And it's just incredible how, how they work. And I totally trust them. And it's just, it's another way to support each other and and help each other and I would think like you talk about doing intuitive health and life and Reiki and dreams I would think all of this would tie in together yeah so um, my business is called intuitive wellness and I believe that it's my intuition helping your intuition and really getting back in touch I think with the stress that everybody's been feeling and the and also understanding how our brains work. I do a lot of brain research about how our brains work or how they function and how they think. And so, you know, being an educator for a lot of years, you know, I've learned a lot of tips, but now like I love to understand and I'm fascinated by how our brains process information. And so I bring a lot of that to this work. And you know, I'm obsessed with brains and like how that works. So you tell me at the end, because you're probably like, she'll keep me on eight hours if I tell her at the beginning. <laughs> we'll, have to, yeah. we'll, have to do, we'll have to do another one sometime. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. 
So then I guess I'm going to ask you two questions about brains. First, what's the most weird, interesting brain hack that you've learned or how our brains work that you wouldn't have expected? So it, it, and this kind of relates back to my first book. So my first book, when people read it, you can hear my voice inside. I was so scared. I was so scared. I was so scared to share my story, partly because I'm a public school teacher and you don't share this kind of this kind of stuff that's happening in your life. I felt like I was coming out, right? But I was so scared inside. And uh, Yes, I relate to everything you said. I'm like, people are going to think I'm such a fucking freak. Like, no one's going to talk to me anymore. I'm never going to have another date. I'm never going to have, like, another normal friend. But you can <laughs> do it anyway. Yeah, I get it. Well, I mean, I was just like, is my husband still going to be, like, around? Because, like... <laughs> Oh my God. Oh my God. We've been married since I was 19. No, we got married when I was 21, but like he'd been. Oh my God. You were so young. Can I, I'm so jealous dating like after college, like twenties, early thirties is such a massive pain in the ass. You're so lucky. (laughs) So I was just like, you know, so he, he, it's actually his idea that um, I write a book. He came, he comes into the story and you can hear my fear. And so understanding that fear voice inside our head and what that's built for is to keep us safe from the lions and tigers and bears. But nowadays it's the math problem you can't get when you're a first grader and somebody else next to you gets it. Or it's the, you know, it's somebody at work who, you know, just keeps bothering you and you, you, uh, of course I think so much and I don't know if everybody thinks as much as I do, but I would ruminate on these things and it's the it's that lion thing trying to keep me safe but I had to learn how to that I am safe. It's okay and it's okay to be different than somebody. It's okay to have a different opinion than somebody else and just understanding that it's important for me to tell my brain. It's that other voice inside that I was ruling my life. I was scared to do much of anything. And people didn't understand that. You know, I'd been a a pretty successful teacher. I'd taught, you know, schools for a long time. I was, then I was an administrator for five years. I still teach, I'm a professor at a college, you know, but I, I still had that voice inside my head that was running by fear And so letting other people understand that, like, I wish somebody had told me that when I was five, it would be really super nice. So like, I love to work with parents so then they can teach their kids that there's this fear factor going on inside your head. That's the voice you're hearing. And sometimes you have to tell it to shut up. (laughs) Because it's protecting you from dying when really the risk is just you're going to be a little bit socially uncomfortable. Right. Which used to mean death, not yep. that that long ago. You know, yep. burned at the stake, which is starved, kicked out of the tribe and starving. With you knowing brains, and I don't expect you to know this, so this is a speculating. How do you think it works? Like, wh- what mechanism of our brain then would download consciousness and not create consciousness? Like, why do you not think our brains are creating it? And how is it downloading it? Hmm. Well, I see it's an easy it. question, right? Yeah, I see it as two different levels. We were programmed before we were six years old. You know, how I talk, how I walk, like everything was kind of programmed before then. And then 
my safety and security was also, you know, done at that point in time. And so that's getting into a whole nother subject, but I feel like it's this subconscious. It's this thing that we don't even recognize. Have you read the book Incognito? No, I've never heard of it. Who's it by? Oh, I found it. The Incognito, The Secret Lives of the Brain. David Eagleman. Yes. And in there, it talks about studies and it talks about different things like, oh God, I can't even remember one of the things. The information that we're, that we take in, we don't even know so much of it is subliminal or subconscious. And so to the point that, oh God, I wish I could think of a good example. You'll have to, you'll have to read this and then come up with some of the scientific examples because the perception of different things were beyond what they could have known. So it had to do with like smells and different things. I want to say like something about like men were attracted to women more when they might've been fertile versus not. I've heard that. Right. how is someone going to know when you're ovulating, when you're walking yes. down the street? Like not consciously. Right. But they were, the men were more attracted to some, to a woman who was ovulating. And that just doesn't make sense, right? Like they wouldn't have any way to know that. So it's just different experience experiences like that, really showing us that our subconscious is really working more than what we know. That's a whole other, I mean, I feel like I could start a whole new research on that. I'm Yeah, because that seems to go into so many other ways too. The way you just sense something about a person, you meet them once, you're like, I really like that person. And how would you know that? And you get to know them and you find you have all these, I'm not even talking about like romantically now, just friendship or anything. You find you have all these things in common. And it's so weird how we know these things on this level that we don't understand. Yeah. It's fascinating. But if you can also dig into that subconscious and find out, you know, I've been able to change some of the patterns in my life by recognizing them. Again, I knew like when I became a mom that I was going to be a different mom than my mom was to me. Even as my boys are older, I can really start to understand like why I did what I did and also change some of my patterns. Once I understood that, oh man, I'm being ruled by a lot of my subconscious and what's in there and dig into that and let it go and and really change. So that's fascinating work. Hi everyone. I'm so excited to share that my book, What the Fuck Just Happened? A Sciencey Skeptic Explores Grief, Healing, and Evidence of an Afterlife is available now for sale. If you go to WTFJustHappened.net, you can see the link to buy it. I'll also have the link in the podcast show notes. I know many of you want to know how exactly did I come to change my mind about the afterlife? Well, this book is all about the first stages of my exploration into this afterlife evidence to where I'm at today. It starts with the awful part of when I lost my dad. How as a science-minded atheist, I first began to explore if there was any possibility of an afterlife, and what and who I found most compelling. 
I also share some stuff that was not so compelling, such as a very clearly fake psychic medium reading and a pretty ridiculous seance. But that's balanced by some amazing peer-reviewed studies on mediums, medium readings, parapsychologists, and just a whole bunch of what the fucks, including some really inexplicable personal things that happened to me. And some really incredible signs I got from my dad. Despite the topic, it's actually funny, mainly because I'm just like such an awkward person. And you also get to learn about all the amazing people and incredible characters I met along the way, as well as more about the research that helped change my mind. And some of the people you learn about have become some of my really good friends and mentors today. So go to WTFJustHappened.net and order it. If you've already read it, please rate and review on Amazon. I cannot tell you how helpful that is. And share with any friends who might be interested. Thank you all. I'm so excited to finally share the full details of this crazy exploration with all of you. So instead of question of the week, I'm going to include a really kind of what the fuck fun story that actually ties in with Monica. So Monica sent me a PDF of her newest book, Once Upon a Dime. And thank you, Monica. I got to read it before it published. And as she explained, dimes are one of her most important signs from her dad. And in the book, some of her friends start getting dimes too after they talk to her. So while I'm reading the book, I said, just for fun, as soon as it's done, I want to find a dime. And I finished it. I actually forgot that I'd even requested that. And I'm in my apartment in LA, just sitting at my desk working. And I decide to get up and sweep just because I'm really fidgety and I like to do 10 million things and I was getting really restless sitting. Plus, actually, I want to have a clean home. I should add that. (laughs) And I look and there's a single dime sitting on my floor. I was like, what the actual fuck? And I should also add, I do not use cash ever unless it's absolutely, absolutely required. I don't even have cash. I can't remember the last time I used cash. Never in L.A., I guess just sometimes when I'm when I travel to tip at the hotel, that's probably the last time I ever even had cash. And when I do use cash, the few times I'm required to, I do not take coins if they give them to me for change. So I have no idea how or where this dime came from. And then what was kind of fun too is about a week later, I was doing my laundry in my building in LA. It is a shared laundry room, but For some reason, I guess sometimes I do check, you know, that part where socks get stuck. I don't always, but I did this day and there was a single dime there. I've never seen a dime there before or after, which I thought was a nice, that was pretty interesting too. I thought both were pretty fun stories and a bit of a what the fuck. If you have a question you want me to answer, send it to hello at WTF justhappened.net and put question of the week in the subject. I know I usually say first names, but if you want to be completely anonymous, let me know. 
and feel free to reach out anyway, even if you don't have a question. I can't wait to hear your questions and hear from you. Ready to embody that next level calm and confidence? It's time to activate that part of your subconscious. Get the self-paced 11-minute-a-day program by me, author of Confidence Introvert and Certified Subconscious Reprogrammer. Go to stephanietoma.com slash confidenceboost. Use code WTF50 for $50 off. Is there anything... I haven't asked you that you'd like to talk about. Um, I just, no, I think that just understanding, I mean, I think that your way of going about it with the scientific research, I think that that's fascinating. For me, it was just my, my story. And I thought that my story might help others. And it really has. And in my story, I wrote, even if sharing my story helped one person, then it was worth it. And I have so many of my readers reach out to me and say, I'm your one. And I wish I'd started counting on those ones because it does really help open up the door. If you're interested in this work and understanding how, you know, the afterlife works a little bit, then third book will give you even more information, but just to understand and really feel connected to our loved ones in a very different way. And, and it doesn't bring them back, but it kind of soothes our heart a little bit to feel this connection. So I just want other people to understand it more. So thanks so much, Monica. Where can everyone find you? Well, you can find me on my website, monicalmorrissey.com, double R, double S, E, Y. And all of my online classes are there. All of my services are there. You can set up an appointment with me anytime. Um, there are links to my books there too. And both of my books you can find on Amazon in audible form and print form and also Kindle. This was lovely. Thank you so much for having me. get more information on what the fuck just happened, go to wtfjusthappened.net. There you can order my book, What the Fuck Just Happened? A Sciency Skeptic Explores Grief, Healing, and Evidence of an Afterlife. And you can learn all about how I came to conclude that there most likely is an afterlife. You can also learn about the early stages of my grief and the amazing, fascinating people I met along the way. You can also read about how much I harassed them, trying to get evidence, see if they were cheating, and see if they were sane. There, you can subscribe to our newsletter. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. It makes such a difference, especially for a new podcast like this one. And if any of you have had a crazy what the fuck yourself, have any questions, feedback, or just want to say hi, reach out on either Instagram at WTF underscore just underscore happened underscore, or email me at hello at WTF just happened dot net. And remember, 
You don't have to draw any final conclusions as you wonder what the fuck just happened.